does not appear from the statement Bonaparte's attendance that he had made any very considerable provision for the future in the event of a reverse of fortune. They often regretted his poverty, and Madame Bertrand assured me that he was not possessed of more than a million francs, 42,000 pounds of our money, which, if correct, is certainly not a very large sum for a man who had so many millions at his disposal. The emperor has always declared, she said, that he would rise or fall with the country and never would enrich himself out of the public property. He also, upon occasion, when there was some intention of leaving Madame Bertrand with her children in England, after stating Bertrand's poverty is an objection to that arrangement, said to me, my finances are not such as to enable me to give him much assistance. Bonaparte's carriage, which was taken at the Battle of Waterloo by the Prussian cavalry, contained many articles of great value. And it was a necessaire, in which all the instruments, the basin, were composed of gold, a sword set with diamonds, and a diamond necklace, estimated at a very large sum of money, which one of his sisters, I think the Princess of Borghese, put round his neck the night he took leave of her at Paris, on his setting out to join the army previous to the Battle of Waterloo, and which he had taken off and deposited in a secret place in the carriage. Marchand, his valet de chambre, being so nearly taken by the Prussian hussars that he quitted the carriage without having had time to secure it. But I have since learned from Las Casas' memoirs that the necklace alluded to was saved and that Las Casas had it concealed, not true, about his person all the time he was on board the Bellerophon. It has been stated in many of the public prints that had not the Marquis of Anglicea received a wound when he was leading on a charge, Bonaparte must have fallen into his hands. In consequence of observing this assertion, I asked Generals Bertrand and Gorgot whether they knew if any such occurrence had taken place, both of whom replied, Certainly not. The emperor was frequently in the midst of the British troops, pill mill, avec les troupes angloises. But at no time in the battle was he in danger of being captured by a charge of cavalry. The midshipmen of the Bowerfen were in the habit of occasionally performing plays to amuse themselves and officers during the tedious operations of a blockade. Bonaparte, being told of it by Savary, requested that they would oblige him by acting one for his amusement. During the performance, Madame Bertrand sat next to him and interpreted. He appeared much amused and laughed very heartily at our ladies, who were personated by great strapping fellows dressed in women's clothes, and not in the most tidy fashion. He had the patience to remain to the end of the third act, though, when attending the opera Paris, he had always retired at the end of the first. I heard several of the French officers discussing the merits of the British troops. One of them said, Cavalry is superb. I observed, in England, we have a higher opinion of our infantry. You are right, said he. There is none such in the world. There is no making an impression on them. You may as well attempt to charge through a wall. And their fire is tremendous. 
Another of them observed, great fault in your cavalry is their not having their horses sufficiently under command. There must be something wrong in the bit, as on one or two occasions in a charge they could not stop their horses. Our troops open to the right and left, let them pass through, and then close their ranks again when they were either killed or taken prisoners. I never heard Bonaparte speak of the Battle of Waterloo or give an opinion of the Duke of Wellington, but I asked General Bertrand what Napoleon thought of him. Why, replied he, I will give you his opinion, nearly in the words he delivered it to me. The Duke of Wellington, in the management of an army, is fully equal to myself with the advantage of possessing more prudence. During the time that Bonaparte was on board the Bellerophon, we always lived expressly for his accommodation, entirely in the French manner. That is to say, a hot meal was served at ten o'clock in the morning and another at six in the evening, and so nearly did they resemble each other in all respects that a stranger might have found difficulty in coming into the cabin to distinguish breakfast from dinner. His maitre d'hôtel took the joints off the table, cut them up in portions, and then handed them round. Bonaparte ate a great deal, and generally of strong, solid food. In drinking, he was extremely abstemious, confining himself almost entirely to claret, and seldom taking more than half a pint at a meal. Immediately after dinner, strong coffee was handed round, and then some cordial, after which he rose from the table. The whole meal seldom lasting more than 20 or 25 minutes. And I was told that during the time he was at the head of the French government, he never allowed more than 15 minutes for that purpose. 